Our scripture today is from the Gospel of Luke. Uh, It's not listed in the bulletin. Um, The bulletin has the lectionary readings, but we are reading a different passage this morning from Luke 4. Luke 4, verses 14 through 30. Please stand for the reading of the Gospel. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He taught in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. And he stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him, and he began by saying to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son, they asked? Jesus said to them, Surely you will quote this proverb to me. Physician, heal yourself. Do hear in your hometown what we have heard that you did in Capernaum. I tell you the truth, he continued, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them but to a widow in Zarephath, in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet, yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of the town, and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him down the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Alyssa. Um, as Jerry mentioned earlier, we're in the middle of the People of the Books summer sermon series where we're walking through the lectionary to see how God speaks to us through the structured reading of Scripture. Uh, when I was introduced to our speaker today, I just felt like this was a great opportunity to hear from her passion and experience to help us hear God's heart for mission and justice revealed in Scripture. And so just as an introduction, our speaker today has some serious credentials. Uh, Stanford educated uh, with a mechanical engineering experience, which I feel affinity to because that's what I did as well. And uh, she has a patent in her name as well. She's followed the call to leave the tech industry and enter into Christian uh, ministry leadership. And today she serves as the executive director for Evangelicals for Social Action, the organization that uh, Alyssa works for as well, and uh, the, an organization that works for cultural renewal, holistic ministry, political reflection, and social justice. Uh, she's previously served as the vice president of IJM, International Justice Mission, and as a program director for Urbana Student Missions Conference. Uh, she's brought creativity a fresh perspective, and a deep commitment to mission through her executive roles. She's also authored two books, God of Justice, and is one of the editors for More Than Serving Tea, an Asian-American woman on expectations, relationships, 
leaderships, leadership and faith. Uh, she and her husband Jesse and her two kids are based here in Arlington, Virginia, and can be found at the sidelines of various kids' sporting events in the region. Uh, <laughs> let's give a warm welcome to Nikki Toyamasito. For a season, I was a staff worker with InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. And I used to work on the campus, and one of my assigned campuses was Berkeley, California. Now, I'm just hanging out in my neighborhood at Berkeley, and I'm talking with people on the street, in the store, uh, and I found that you could say all sorts of crazy things in Berkeley, and no one will even blink an eye. You could say the most bizarre things and have the most obscure hobby, and everyone would be like, yeah, yeah, that's cool. That's cool. I could tell people that I raise porcupines and skunks, and I give them to nursery schools and nursing homes, and people would be like, hey, yeah, that's pretty cool. I can see how that might be important, how that might be good. But the, <laughs> but the one thing that you can't say is that you're a Christian. I would tell people there that I was a Christian, and they would look at me with eyes that said, how could you? So with my Bible in one hand, I headed to the campus. And I had been trained. I could argue with an atheistic apologist, but people on campus weren't asking the questions that I had been trained to answer and engage with. The conversation had changed from, how do you know that that's true, to, is the Christian God really good? The conversation had changed from, is the Bible reliable, to, doesn't your God hate women, LGBTQ folks, and people of color? The one thing that really stuck in me and stuck in my gut was when people said this, people do truly terrible things in the name of religion. Now these days, I feel like there's lots of people who are telling us what Christianity is about and what Jesus is about, but the thing that I want us to do this morning is I want us to go back to what Jesus says that he's about. Let's go and hear from Jesus' own words as he outlines his priorities and his purposes in this world. In Luke 4, this is one of Jesus' first public appearances. Um, we have seen him get baptized, he's been tempted in the desert, and then as he is wont to do on a Saturday, Jesus rolls into the synagogue. He goes into the synagogue and he reads. And we see that this passage, uh, the Luke 4, 14 through 30 passage, is a really interesting foreshadow of the whole entire book of Luke. In this one really specific and particular story, we see all of the different dynamics that play out through the remainder of the book of Luke here in this one specific story. We see Jesus, as he, as he reads the passage from Isaiah, he's declaring who he is and what his priorities are. And how do folks react? Initially, folks love him, right? It's the hometown hero. It's Joseph's son coming back. Reading is very impressive. It's like, it's like he's the, um, the homecoming king. Like, it's like, is this Joseph's son? So initially, when, when he's speaking, folks love him. It's this welcome back. And then, as Jesus continues to talk, he starts offending people, right? We see Jesus do this, unfortunately, a lot. As he keeps going, eventually, uh, he starts offending people. He says things that people feel uncomfortable with. That starts to mess with people's world. 
He essentially tells them, you're not going to like my message. And instead, it's going to go to outsiders. Do you see how God's message has come? And it's always gone to those who are on the outside. When Jesus is done saying this, they're so riled up. They went from, oh, isn't this Joseph's son, to let's take him outside the city gates and kill him. Like, in the span of, such a short span, in the span of a service, right? And where do they go, right? They take him to the brow of a hill. So they take him outside of the city gates to the brow of a hill. Again, a foreshadow of the crucifixion of Jesus, Jesus' death outside of the city gates. So because this particular passage has this shape, this one specific story has this shape that mirrors all of what will be laid out in Luke, scholars say that we should pay particular attention uh, to this passage because this one specific story is kind of like this preview or this foreshadow. And in specific, because of this shape of, of this story, um, it's, it's kind of like Luke is saying, pay attention. Pay attention to what Jesus is saying. He's put a huge spotlight uh, on Jesus' words here. He has blinking lights and arrows that are pointing that say, pay attention. You can't do that in a letter, and so he has to use the form uh, of the letter to say, pay attention to what it is that Jesus is saying. So let's take a look in specific. Um, verse 17, the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him, and unrolling it, he found in the place where it was written, the Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the captives and recovery of sight for the blind and to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. <clears throat> then he rolled up the scroll, he gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And then the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying to, to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Scholars say that this particular section is Jesus laying out his mission statement or his purpose, his purpose for his kingdom on earth, right? While essentially we have King Jesus, King Jesus who is telling us, this is what I am about. This is what I came to do. Jesus came to preach good news. To whom? The passage says he came to preach good news to the poor. Throughout the book of Luke, we see Jesus drawing near to those who are economically poor, as well as spiritually poor and socially poor. How would you describe the good news of Jesus? Being a good kid, raised in Sunday school, if you had asked me what the good news was, I would have raised my hand. Jesus came to die for my sins. In the passage, the first sentence gives us me an idea, proclaiming the good news. And in the next three sentence, we see how the good news is unpacked. These are the three different indicators that the good news is present. He lists those things out. This is evidence of the good news. What does Jesus say the good news is? What does the passage say? Jesus came to proclaim good news, to proclaim freedom for the captives, recovery of sight for the blind, and to set the oppressed free. He came to proclaim freedom, yes, Freedom from sin? Yes. And freedom for the captives. Freedom for the spiritually poor people? Yes. But also literally captive people. People who have been held by other people. People who are captive to addiction. Jesus came to proclaim freedom to them. Recovery of sight for the blind. The spiritually blind? Yes. But also people who are actually blind were healed and were restored to their sight. 
He set the oppressed free. People who are spiritually oppressed, yes, but also those who were actually oppressed. And then the final sentence, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Favor. This is a reference to Jubilee. It's a summary statement, a bookend that mirrors the proclamation of the good news. So that's a reference to Jubilee. And Jubilee is this amazing celebration that was, I think, never lived out in history, but a beautiful uh, idea. The celebration where all debts are forgiven. And those who are in debt bondage are released. It's a giant reset for the whole entire community. I think we can accidentally over-spiritualize this passage. Jesus came to set the captives free, the spiritually captives, the spiritually blind to see, the oppressed are set free. But Jesus also made actual captives free. He made actual blind people, gave them the ability to see, and he freed people who are oppressed, people who are oppressed and overburdened, people who are driven to debt and to poverty by those in power over them. He set those people free as well. Luke is an extraordinary adventure of Jesus coming near to those who are at the very edge of polite society, taking those on the margins and making them front and center of Jesus's plan. I am often tempted to put Jesus, to put God in a box of spiritual only things. That God is a God of only spiritual things and the whole rest of the world is advised by all the other experts in the world. But as we look at this passage and the mission of Jesus, we see that the gospel is engaging with the physical realities of the world. We see the gospel engaging in the spiritual realities, the social realities, the economic realities of the world. The reference to Jubilee, that's the proclamation of the good news breaking in to the economic systems of the day. Sight for the blind is the gospel being about good news for those who cannot see. Continuing through Luke and Acts, we see the gospel busting in and disrupting all areas of life. God in the Old Testament scriptures, he often describes himself as the one who freed his people from slavery. Throughout the Old Testament, he calls on Israel to remember him as the God who brought you out of Egypt, right? This is not a reference to a spiritual enslavement. They were actually enslaved people. They were working for Egyptian masters. The violence was everyday and very real. It was physical. It was brutal. This is a picture of a God who is involved in the daily mess of the world with us today. When did we sanitize Jesus and put him in white robes that shouldn't get dirty and only talk to him about sick family members or when we need a parking spot? Now, I realize in D.C. getting a parking spot is quite a miracle, but please, like, let's expand, expand our imagination. Joining Jesus in his work testifies in the public square that the Christian God is a good God, a just God, a compassionate, a powerful, and able God. The pursuit of justice is the anti-story to the secular myth that religion makes people do bad things. Our God is a God who goes after the one lost sheep. He is a personal God. He is a God who stops for the ostracized, bleeding woman, healing her and restoring her to her community. He is also a God who tossed tables in temple courts and uprooted faulty economic systems that kept people from entering into his courts of prayer. He is a God of the synagogue, but he's also a God of the marketplace and a God of the wells. 
What is God already doing in your community, in your neighborhood, in your place of work? Where is Jesus proclaiming good news to the captives, to the blind, and to the oppressed? This is an invitation to believe that our God is more than a Sunday God, more than a Sunday morning God, but our God is also a God of Monday and Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. I lead an organization called Evangelicals for Social Action that's trying to take seriously Jesus' words here in Luke 4. In the 70s, our founder, um, a Mennonite uh, Canadian farmer uh, named Ron Sider, wrote a book called Rich Christians in an Age of Hunger. And that challenged Christians to think about a faith that engages with the realities and the injustices of our world around us. We're a network of Christians who are tethered to Jesus and we're trying to be people who both seek to be transformed personally by Jesus, but also seek systemic transformation of the unjust, societies, uh, unjust systems in our society. We are Jesus followers for justice. And ESA recognizes that discipleship is not something that's just a private and a personal thing, but that discipleship is about living out your faith in your church, in your neighborhood, in the places where God has already placed you that we're people striving to make God's love visible to those that we encounter. And we understand that sometimes repentance means saying, I'm sorry. But other times, repentance means disrupting the systems that perpetuate injustice in areas like racial inequality, immigration, and people who have been othered by the church. And in the future, we hope to be a place that listens and learns well from the global church. The challenge that I have for you all here at WCF is this. Is there a way that you have limited God to only a Sunday God and Sunday issues? Are there ways that you've only talked to God about things related to the church or perhaps your favorite football team or the other things that happen on a Sunday? When in reality, Jesus is a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday God. Is there a way that we are accidentally limiting God to one-seventh of what it is that he dreams and intends to be about? Can I challenge you to ask this question? Ask Jesus this question. Jesus, is there a way that you are showing up in the other days of the week that you want me to notice this week? Is there a way you're showing up in the other areas of my life that you want me to pay attention to this week? Perhaps it's a decision that's happening in the office on Monday morning. Jesus, is there something that you want to say to me about that? Is there a way that you want me to proclaim good news to the poor in the midst of this strategic planning meeting? To ask Jesus, is there something that you're doing on Tuesday when I drop my kids off at school? Is there some way that you're building your kingdom and you want me to notice that? That Jesus, on Wednesday, is there something that you want me to see that you are doing in the, in the small group that I meet with or maybe in that gym class that I take on Wednesday nights? Is there a way that you are working in those relationships and with those people? Or in my neighborhood as I'm out on Saturday mowing the lawn, doing what I do? Jesus, is there some way that you are doing something in my family, that you are bringing good news to the poor in my family? Help me to see what it is that you're doing. In the same way that we can accidentally over-spiritualize Jesus' mission to include only spiritual things, have we accidentally limited Jesus to only being a Sunday Jesus? Maybe there are others of you who are already doing the stuff, right? You are actively working every day of the week to build God's kingdom in the places where you are and you happen to be. You're volunteering with the high school students 
you're investing in the community soup kitchen. And I think all of those things are fabulous. If that's where you are, then I have a different challenge for you. Can I challenge you to ask the question of where am I building friendship with Jesus and where am I building friendship or relationship as I do these things? Because one of the differences between charity and the invitation that Jesus has for us is that charity is about having compassion and doing kind things. But the invitation to join Jesus in his purposes is an invitation to be transformed in the midst of his mission. Charity is about doing nice things for people, being kind to those in need, but being missional and joining Jesus in his mission means growing in friendship with Jesus, but also growing in relationship with the people that that mission brings us in, into relationship with. Are there ways that as you are doing kind things, you are also investing in relationships with the people around you? As we close, I want to help us end with a couple of pictures that I hope will continue to stir our imagination of what joining Jesus in his mission might look like um, as we do and and open our eyes to see what it is that he is doing work in in our communities. I want to break down this misconception that there are certain professions that God likes to use more for his purposes than others. Um, And so I I love these everyday ways that people are trying to follow Jesus um, and trying to be present. Um, For me, just as a very tangible example, um, I have two kids uh, who are elementary school. Actually, I have one going into middle school this year. Um, uh, My son's teacher was Mrs. Glick, and we were very grateful uh, to have her um, in the mix as I was a nervous parent sending sending a child off. I'm sure with affection you'll know the Glicks. Um, and, and one of the things that I have thought about, because I, I attend these PTA meetings anyway, that I try to sit there and I try to think about not only these things that are being proposed and the different programs and the things that are being transitioned to, how, not only does, how does it affect my family, but I also try to, to ask the question, Jesus, is there a way that my presence here can be good news to those who are oppressed, enslaved, and blind? So like a specific example is our, our school district decided to move over to an all-internet, all-electronic communication path for the teachers, right? And essentially rendering those who don't have internet access blind to what is happening in the classroom, right? So just being present and trying to be a part of joining Jesus and proclaiming good news, I was asking the questions, what are we going to do to make this kind of two-way communication accessible for our families who don't speak English, for our families who don't have access to the internet, that sort of a thing. So how do we stir the imagination of the ways where you are already present that we can join Jesus in the good news that he's doing in our communities? Um, Another example, uh, for for a period of time, I used to volunteer at a food pantry. And it was one of those places that received really uh, huge deliveries of uh, large quantities of food, and we had to break it down into individual um, servings. Uh, and so we would, we would go there. I was waiting with some of my friends before we go into the warehouse. And I wandered over to the community announcement board. And I don't know about you, I love community announcement boards. When I was in college, in between class, I would go. And back in the day, the community announcement boards were, you know, the boards with the actual, like, push pins and a card. Um, I, used to, I used to think of these community um, announcement boards as, like, the board of possibility and opportunity. It was like, for $100, will you drive my car from California to New Jersey? You know, or like, oh, uh, here's a bicycle for 70 I don't know. There's something about this community that I love. So anyways, we were waiting to go into the warehouse. 
of this food pantry. And I was sitting there, and I was reading the community board. And there was one notice that caught my eye. It stuck in my gut, and it wouldn't let me go. It wasn't the notice for making $10,000 from your home every month. That wasn't the one that, that brought my attention. It was a simple, handwritten notice. It was a simple, handwritten notice of a hairdresser who was offering her services. There was a hairdresser who does hair and makeup at a simple salon just around the corner from the pantry. And there was a photographer. And between the two of them, they were offering for the clients who are coming to the food pantry for their weekly groceries. They said, we will do your hair and makeup, and we will take a photo of you, if you would like. To folks who were treated as subhuman most hours of the day, to some homeless folks who are basically invisible for most of their days, this hairdresser and photographer were offering a simple ministry of photos to keep or to give. This affirmation that you were made in the image of God. What a ministry. What a gift for these community members to affirm they're made in the image of Godness. I never got to see the photos that those folks were offering to the, to the people. But these photos here on the screen from a photographer named Lee Jeffries. He took portraits of homeless folks. These give me a little bit of an idea of the extraordinary gift and the extraordinary ministry that could happen from just being aware of the places where good news is being proclaimed. And there's one more slide there. My prayer is that there would be a releasing of God's people and creativity as we join Jesus together. That our own faiths might be refreshed in the context of joining Jesus in his mission. And that many more may know God a God who is just and compassionate, able and good. I think it's easy for us to insulate ourselves and to keep ourselves ensconced in places where all of our needs are purchased and paid for. What regular practices can you incorporate into your rhythm of life that would help you and open you up to the ways that God might want to get your attention in the places where you already are, Monday through Saturday? Are there ways that our joining Jesus can change from a charity mindset to one of deep relationship. You can choose the safe, the beautiful, and the sweet-smelling and lovely things and create a world that you could inhabit. You can afford to protect yourselves from the updates that scream through the front pages of the newspaper. You can protect yourself, and you can choose not to care. Or, and this is the invitation that Jesus has, will you join him in his mission? It might mean something unsettling might enter into your world, it might mean you might have to deal with people that you wouldn't normally choose to deal with. But will you make the choice to care about the things that aren't required for you to care about? Jesus has said, I have come to proclaim good news to the poor, and he is inviting you to come along.